A very warm welcome to this World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world so others may benefit. Hello, listeners. Welcome to this World Game Changers podcast episode. Today, I'm joined by a lady from Australia again in what is the third of this five-part mini-series around the one thing. And the lady in question is Lisa Jane. Lisa, a very warm welcome to you as ever. Thank you, Paul. It's so good to be here again. So you may recall, listeners, the the thread, uh, the foundation for this mini-series has been Lisa's great book, and I'm, and I'm getting into the book uh, part by part by part, and I really like the stuff. I can relate to it so strongly around emotions. Now, Lisa specialises in working with, with teenage daughters, um, hence the title of the book, The Emotionally Powerful Mother. So what we thought we'd do, we'd pick on one thing each day, each of these five episodes, we pick on one thing. If pick on is the right, somehow that, that seems a bit clunky, pick on. But uh, anyway, we'll run with it for now, listeners. And today, Lisa, emotion education. What does that mean? Hmm. Emotion education is something that I feel has been lacking from our cultural education. So to me, it's this understanding of how our emotional worlds work in the way of feeling so we we often have a lot of information but I've gone right into the way the feeling realm works and and I really just want to say before we go any further that one of my conditioned patterns was if anyone stood up on a stage or took on the role of expert or you know I considered them had that they had expertise I would often take on what they said just as law, you know, like, oh, they must be the expert, I'm going to take it on. And one of the things that the book talks about is we are our most um, important advisor, if you like, and it's all about self-allegiance and listening to ourselves first. And when I was writing the book, I thought to myself, how can I present information that I understand because I've observed it in my own life. So these are from my real life experiences and also from, you know, observing what I've gone through with other people. I've come to these understandings about how the emotional world works, but I didn't want to just give them to people so that people could go, um, yep, yeah, okay, I get it. She's telling me that I'm going to take it on board because I, I really want people to understand why I've come to how I've come to my process so that when I went into the next part of the book of actually sharing five keys to help you step back into your power, the foundations were already there and the people that were reading the book could go, yeah, I get why this is happening and this makes sense to me. So it's giving people an opportunity to see what I've built my teachings on so that they can assess it for themselves. And if it sounds fair, and feels right to them, then great, let's keep moving ahead. Mm. So the five keys, but also, Lisa, 11 life lessons. The Uh, 11 life lessons. I want to go through these. (laughs) Fasten your seatbelts because in the 11 of them, they're going to be fairly 
thick and fast. You know, we're not going to get bogged down on these. So, yeah, just prepare yourself for some quick, uh, for some quick learnings, some very insightful, deep learnings. So the first one then, Lisa, life is the body having a feeling experience. Yes. So I learned that I, like I'm a human being and a human being is having an experience of life and an experience is a feeling thing. It's not a thinking thing. Like, you know, that when we go and we, we ride on a roller coaster, the experience of that is because we're feeling it, we're in that moment. And the more I realized that my emotions were so integral to how I experienced my life, the more I gave them credit and I stopped trying to push them away from me. So that's the first lesson is because life is an experience, my feelings are integral in that process. They help me evolve. They help me change. They give me data. They teach me where I shouldn't be. If I'm feeling disempowered, this is like, hey, girl, you've got to take your power back. You've got to have a look at what you're doing that you've put yourself in a position to feel powerless here. What are you doing? What do you have to do? So my feelings are my little indicators if you like so that's number one mm. and i know we touched upon this lisa in the previous episode and i think mm. i quoted uh, was it gandhi's model of beliefs control our thoughts control our mm. feelings and it kind of put that you know within that hierarchical structure if that's even the right way to frame it with respect to the great man himself um, it kind of puts feelings at number three, doesn't it? But, mm. you know, what you're saying with this model, it reframes that and it puts it hard. That's sort of like Maslow's though, isn't it? You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And yeah. like, I know this is maybe a little bit controversial, but Maslow, he proposed a theory. It was a theory. And yet our culture is sort of like, nah, this is like what is. We've adopted it as what is. Now, right at the very top after you've done everything else then you pay attention to your innermost self i've discovered if i put that first if i start with me everything else goes so much better there's yeah. not as much fight so this is like what you're just saying it's like there are things out there in the world that we've been taught that might be really helpful for us to start questioning yeah no it's a valid point it certainly made me stop and think you know, some of the eminent practitioners that I've learned from. And you just, it's these minor tweaks, isn't it? These little tweaks, mm. little insights that people share. Because, you know, there is no absolute, is there? Other than, you know, one day we will, well, there's two things, I think. One day we will leave this physical body. I think most people call that death. Um, and, and the other one is the constancy of change. Mm. But um, anyway, we digress, or I digress. Number two. <laughs> Um, and we're on a deadline. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Not with a, we don't want to, this to appear rushed and kind of, uh, as Lisa says, on a deadline, listeners, but we will crack on. Number two, <laughs> the feeling loop gets me stuck in my head. Yes. And this was like me sitting down going, do you know, how can I explain this to people? How can I actually explain emotions from an emotional perspective not from like this concept like I just felt like there was something missing in everything that I'd learned to date because what I was discovering was that when I had a feeling what I was taught to do with it and what I was programmed to do with it is I instantly have a feeling I quickly take it into my head now my head then just 
takes it into this great big loop. So my head will start going, why am I feeling like this? Why is this happening to me? How can I fix it? I don't want to feel like this. I'm analysing it. And my head also brings in all of the past memories and it adds to it all of the fears for the future. So in this moment, I've got a lot of stuff going on in my head. So it's not just that little feeling that I had now. This is like really big. And then my head will project it out and I'm trying to fix it. I'm blaming people externally. I'm blaming situations externally. So I'm still not feeling the feeling, right? I'm still trying to fix the feeling. But because it becomes now this mind construct, the feeling now turns into something else. And generally it turns into something that's like persecution of others, blame, I'm a victim, poor me, I feel resentful. All of those things happen once it gets in my head and I start adding thoughts and and everything else to it. And because I'm adding to the feeling, I now have more feeling. And this more feeling makes me feel even worse, which comes into my body. And once again, rather than just allowing it to flow and going with it, I take it up into my head again and that loop happens. And that's why we often feel when we're in relationships that we might be in another event or another situation, but we feel the same feeling. You know, it's like with my daughter, I I can notice sometimes, you know, and this used to be really prevalent with my older kids. It was like, even though they were growing older and I was changing and events were changing, I still had the same feeling of powerlessness because I'd never actually allowed my feeling. I was always taking into my head, trying to fix it and just perpetuating this loop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Number three, separation strategy cuts me off from my true self? So my separation strategy is me taking my feelings into my head and then trying to solve those feelings by changing my external things. So rather than going, okay, if I'm feeling powerless, rather than going, I must have stepped out of my true self and out of my true power, What are my feelings showing me? What do I need to do to come back into my power? I don't do that. I don't stay in my body and stay with my feelings. I used to go straight into my head and then I would project out or externalize the problem I was having. And it's all because of them that I feel like this. So my, the way I was taught to deal with the way I was feeling was actually keeping me separate from my true source of power, which is me. So my feeling world, as I had a feeling, I'd step away from it into my mind, create this victim, persecutor, rescuer dynamic quite often, be looking for external things to make me feel better. So time after time after time, I'm walking further and further away from me. I'm walking further and further away from my true power towards where I think I can find a solution. But because I'm not in my true self, the solution is short-lived or I'm always trying to chase it. There's always this gap. I'm never quite making it there. Fascinating. I kind of want to spend an hour on each one. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm like, and please, and please, as I'm going along, if you need more clarification, please ask me. Will do. Stored emotion increases separation, number four. Okay, so this is something that now look, I haven't, I, I, maybe there's other people that have um, described it like this, but I just found it very helpful to think of it like this. And when I'm working with people, I refer to it like this. You know, 
people understand or most people understand, hey, I've been triggered. I've been triggered or this is because of my, um, you know, childhood wound or, or whatever it is. Um, so we have this understanding, a lot of people, that there's something in us that is reacting to certain events externally. What I've discovered is that emotion that I would feel and not want to own, but I'd quickly go into my head to try and fix a solution, all that emotion that I didn't allow to move through my body, that I didn't allow to process, that I held on to, um, denied, resisted, just sort of got stuck in my body. And like this story, because emotion is energy in motion. And it, and I've watched it. I've, I've had the beautiful opportunity of sitting with incredible pain and watching the waves move through my body. And I've done that with grief. As the grief has come up in my body, I've, I've been able to go, oh, there's grief and I can feel these waves and I'm crying and I can feel the waves. But if I can go with them without attaching thoughts to them, the waves move through my body. And this is pure emotion. And I just want to digress a little bit here because I do discern between pure emotion, emotional energy, like feeling energy that moves through my body and a feeling that's created by a thought, which is not that pure emotion. So our thoughts can add to the feelings, but when you're when you catch the first feelings, if you can just allow them to move, they do move through your body. If we're not being comfortable and accepting and allowing what's going on, our body will store that emotion. Now, what happens is, for example, this is a this is a great example. If um, as a teenager, I've had a boyfriend that is unfaithful to me and I have a feeling of betrayal and I didn't really allow that. I didn't really use that emotion to grow. I haven't allowed the process. I've just been blaming and resentful and, and I've stored that emotion in my body. So then what happens is when I'm 18 and I have another boyfriend and if he does something, looks at a girl the wrong way, all of a sudden I have a feeling, but as well as the feeling in this moment, all of the stored emotion back from when I was 15, from my first boyfriend that was unfaithful, all of that feeling that I didn't deal with then comes to land in this moment when I'm 18. Now that goes on all through our life. And that's why, and I'm sure that you've had situations like this, you know, um, sometimes people will react and you'll go, wow, that was a real overreaction for that little event. Mm -hmm. And you can see people's overreaction. It's because it's not just the feeling in this moment. And I say that to people like, that I work with, they're like, I don't know why I'm feeling so strongly. And I go, because it's not just this feeling from right now. You have most probably had a similar feeling situation way back when, and all of that emotional charge comes to land right now, as well as what you're feeling today. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. I don't know if you could, I'm sure listeners, we can all in our own different contexts relate to that. That's what I term, Lisa, compounded conditioning. You know, we pick yeah. up you know, the seeds planted from that, you know, that metaphoric 15-year-old experience and then there comes another one, you know, and it just becomes uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy, doesn't it? Well, that's the way it's always been, you know. People with red hair always cheat on you or, let me, okay, let me diffuse that for, for our listeners with red hair. People of a certain, you know, if feature or whatever, are all good, are all bad. And we create these boxes, these labels, these stereotypes based on, you know, a one-off experience, but that does become a, 
you know, a compound. Mm, if we, that's right. If we don't deal with it, it does. And we all have stored emotion and it gets in the way of us being able to connect with each other because sometimes we're in relationship from our stored emotion, like from all these past pains, we're reacting and there's so much to and fro going. And really we're not even in this moment dealing with what's in this moment. We're also bringing to this plate everything else that's happened to us. And it's really, that's a really interesting thing when you think about it, it can get pretty explosive and it's no wonder really that there's so much conflict in relationships mm -hmm. if this isn't educated to people if people don't learn about stuff like this when they're young how do you even know yeah absolutely and it brings in does it not the um i think i've shared this before well certainly on podcast generally listeners around the three most important words in the world let it go Okay, that might sound oversimplistic. Well, Paul and I've had this leveled at me more times than I can I can care to remember. You don't understand. It's all right you saying let it go. You know, do you understand that, you know, my partner's cheated or I've lost my job or X or Y or Z or A or B, whatever it is. But, you know, that is the simple answer, inverted commas, to let it go because it, it becomes stored emotion and then, um, well, as we've already discussed, so that uh, stored emotion, let's continue with that then, um, Lisa. Stored emotion controls life experiences. Mm, yeah. So if you have stored emotion and you don't want to let it go, I'll just say to start with, this is not a big, like, it, it, rather than giving ourselves a hard time about this, what I try to do if I can't let go of things, I try to look at why can't I let it go? What is in the way of me letting it go? And the more I investigate inwardly, there's something, okay, I know I need to let it go. I really want to let it go, but I can't. I don't want to. So what's in the way? What is stopping me from that? And this is where it's, it's a really great thing to start to see that the emotions that we have held on to get in the way of what we see. They get in the way of our perception of each other. Now, that might look like, um, for example, my father left when I was six. So I often used to feel abandoned. And it didn't take a lot for me, my abandonment issues to be activated when things happened. Like it could have just been people um, left me. I expected them to help me and they left me. And I would react in a way if I couldn't see that actually this was my abandonment issue being activated, I would be reacting to that situation and going, well, why aren't you here? You should be here supporting me. So it's almost like it puts a veil over our eyes, which is why it's so important to start to investigate what we're feeling and why we're feeling it, just to get in touch with it. Because they're not there forever. Like we, we, and the people say they're in your unconscious. Well, that just means they're not conscious, right? So just start looking at them. Just start investigating. It's not a big deal, but you do have to put effort in to start looking at it. So I noticed that the way, this, the emotion that I stored, absolutely it helped me or, or um, meant that I was interpreting life in a certain way so if my business for example um you know when i was building my business and it was a bit slow it wasn't just that my business was slow it was because there was a part of me 
this stored emotion of I'm not good enough being activated, right? So really it wasn't about my business not being good enough, which is why I had the emotional experience. So there's the, the, the physical experience happening, but the emotional experience that I'm having because of this physical experience has to do with what I'm carrying in my emotional backpack. And if I can see that and meet that need, then I can actually do something about the emotional experience. So then I can come back to the physical experience and go, hey, I'm feeling pretty empowered now. I can do something about this. I'm not powerless, actually, because I've dealt with my emotional stuff. So not only does the stored emotion we have stop us from dealing with things in an empowered way when it's activated, it also means that we see things in a certain way based on that stored emotion. And that's why when you're in an argument with somebody, um, you know, they that what they see and what you see can be completely different. Mm. That's what I call wearing dark sunglasses all the time. If we wear dark sunglasses all the time, everything's going to appear dark. Mm. Which you know, dark sunglasses in the in the uh, the heat of the midday sun is fine. But why wear them at midnight when there's no lights on? But that's metaphorically what we do, isn't it? Through this conditioning that we acquire from an early age, we wear those glasses for protection. And then we wonder why everything looks metaphorically the same and dark. Just a thought. Moving. I'd love to. Have we got a minute for me to describe a funny story, though? Yeah, of course. Um, Because I think this is when you start to look at things a little bit differently, so much comes into clarification for you so those dark those glasses come off I remember once I was having um, a discussion with my last partner and I was feeling abandoned I was feeling like he wasn't spending enough time with me and I was trying to explain that to him and he was like you know well I'm a I'm a free spirit I, I want to go and I need to go and do this I need to have my time and we were like having this and we couldn't see eye to eye and all of a sudden it hit me I just went oh my gosh I'm feeling abandoned because that's my childhood need. His mother used to smother him. So he's feeling smothered because I'm asking him for some of his time, right? And I'm feeling abandoned because he's feeling like he doesn't want to give me some of his time because he's smothered, right? He's feeling smothered. This is such a great example of how, like, I just went, oh, my gosh, can you see what's happening here? And he's like, what? And I said, you're in a wound exactly matches mine I feel abandoned and you feel smothered now if we stay in this dynamic we are never going to find a resolution because you're always going to feel smothered and I'm always going to feel abandoned we have to see that this is our childhood wound playing out in this dynamic so that we can actually step out of the dynamic and when I looked at it, I went how absolutely clever that we pick these people that are the exact people that are going to activate that inner wound so that we can heal it, so that we can see it. And when I started to see it, that was when I actually took back my power from that dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Love that. Judgment comes from people's stored emotion. Mm -hmm. Okay, so judgment... I always say is a substance, a substitute for experience. If I'm judging somebody else, I'm not in the present moment. I'm seeing them 
based on my stored emotion, based on all the feelings that I'm holding that may have been put there by them in the past, and then I'm having a judgment of them. So the judgment is separating me from them. I'm not in the present moment with them, seeing how they're turning up in this moment because I have a whole lot of feeling being activated in me by who and what they're doing. So I instantly put down this barrier of disconnection and I cannot connect. Judgment has a lot of levels. Like, uh, you know, I used to find I was judgmental if I felt powerless or I felt insecure or I didn't feel good enough. That was my way of giving myself this short-term boost of feeling better than. But it's very short-term and it's like it just, it's not good. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't create the connection that I really want. It doesn't create the love and the unity and the harmony that I really want to feel in my life. So when I started to see that, the judgment was actually coming from inside me and emotion that I was holding onto that I wasn't recognizing. So, and I started to do things like if I felt judgmental, why am I judging them? What is it about them that is activating me? You know, what is it that I'm holding onto about myself that's feeling uncomfortable because of this person? And that for me was a really important investigation because the more that I could be here right now present with whoever turns up however they turn up the more connection and love and harmony I feel in my life I'm I'm I can sit in a place where I don't need them to be anything other than what they are right now and that gives people an incredible amount of freedom but it also gives me an incredible amount of freedom and that especially as a mother I think is just such an incredible gift that you give your child because you're not judging them. You're not thinking, oh, they should be this or they should be better or they, they shouldn't have their ears pierced or they shouldn't have their nose pierced or I wish they didn't wear their skirt. So like, you're, not, you're not filling your mind with all this judgment. You're actually, here they are turning up as they are right now and I'm here with them. I might have a feeling about what they're wearing and I can talk about that, but that doesn't get in the way of the fact that I'm fully present with them now and allowing them to be right here and right now. I can only do that if I've dealt with my feelings around things so that I'm not projecting it out as judgment. The ultimate acceptance. Mm. Number eight, I am not the problems I face. <laughs> so this is back to the, the one thing. The real me, the true me, the me that is whole in this moment is not all those things. All of the things that I see, like all of the um, things that aren't good enough, um, the problems in my relationship, these are parts of the identification that I've created um, that are part of the game that's being played that is helping me to grow and to know myself more deeply. One of the things that I found really helpful when events might happen to me to make me feel um, resentful or angry about something, I would allow my feelings like, oh, wow, I'm resentful or I'm angry. Why wouldn't I be? Because this is a crappy situation. Like it's not a just situation. It's an unfair situation. Why wouldn't I feel like that? And sometimes it was a little bit hard to, well, that would sort of diffuse the emotional charge. One of the ways that I would come back to my my true self, my empowered self, that's actually okay how it is. It doesn't really need anything or anyone else to be anything to be okay. One of the ways that I would come back to that centered place was to go, that's not who I really am. 
I'm not really that person that's resentful. That resentment is only there because of the stored emotion I've got or the conditioning or the identity that I think I am. And so this, this way of like almost stepping back and going, that's not who I really am. And if you think about it, most of the ways that we do turn up in our lives, you know, like maybe the people pleaser, the people pleaser is not who you really are. That's who you've been conditioned to be. That's who, you know, as a result of childhood experiences and what societies tell you should happen and, and the, the fear and the insecurity, you've created this identity of being a people pleaser, but that's not who you really are. That is the result of the experiences that you've had. And if you're able to look at that, it's clear that that's not who you are because otherwise how could you look at it? Mm. Now, there's a part of you that when you sit in it, you can see these and you can, you can start to watch yourself and go, well, this is this behaviour, I'm watching this, so there must be a part of me that is not that. And that part is the part that is your true self. That's your, your inner being, if you want to call it. People have a lot of names for this inner being and I would just like to describe it for me that feels like a place of deep, power and strength like so just this incredible solidness this unshakable core that is quite still even though there's this game of life going on around me so I think for me that that keeping in my mind or learning that the things that the problems that are turning up and the way I'm engaging in them is not necessarily the whole truth that was a really powerful lesson for me the game of life. <laughs> I'd smile. Um, listeners, just a quick one on that. Um, <laughs> my first book wrote back, oh, blimey, 2000, what's that, 20 odd years ago, self published, was called Mastering the Game of Life. I just, I just smile inwardly. I just light up whenever I hear that phrase, you know, something. Uh, anyway, I digress. I digress yet again, Lisa, yet again. Feelings meet feeling needs. <laughs> this one was a good one when I discovered this. So we all have feelings and we've been taught by our culture to uh, change our mindset, um, create a new future, like envisage ourselves feeling better, move to the next best feeling state, um, you know, all these ways of we, we do, we talk about it. Um, people talk at us about it. We lie on a psychologist's couch, although that's pretty old fashioned now. But, you know, like we've done all these things in our culture and in, in growing up to do something with our feelings. And mostly it's involved, you know, doing something with our head, we're figuring it out or we're, we're, we have all these things that we do. And yet you can't really, you have to have the right tool for the job, right? So if you've got a feeling, you can't, and to me it makes obvious sense, but I, for some reason it was never taught to me, how could I fix a feeling with a thinking? How could I fix a feeling with something else other than a feeling? Like it made perfect sense to me that I would need to fix a feeling with another feeling. So if I can identify the root source of the feeling that I'm having, which might be, say, um, I'm not good enough, in order for me to feel good enough, 
I have to put the feelings of good enoughness in, like I, somehow I have to generate feeling good enough so that the feeling of not good enough disappears. It's almost like an alchemy. And really it's so much more simpler than trying to fix it with external things, which probably aren't going to work anyway because your feelings are inside your body. Mm. So I hope I'm explaining this okay. If you can think that when you're feeling uncomfortable, it's because you're missing something or you're not feeling loved enough, you're not feeling secure enough, you're not feeling safe enough. So if you can generate the opposite feeling in your body, all of a sudden it's not there anymore. If I'm not feeling supported and I go and offer support to somebody, how can I support you? I'm there to support them. All of a sudden I'm starting to feel the feeling of support in my body because I'm giving it to them and me feeling unsupported disappears. Yeah. So, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. It's literally bringing things home, isn't it? As you say, rather than looking external. Um, you know, in 1974, I looked external as a child, as a young child, I looked external for solutions. I put all my beliefs into a certain football club, bless them. And looking externally, for a solution. And as I say, you know, put this in context, a young kid got neither the emotional capacity or maturity or in that context, stability, because my life was a mess because of, you know, what I was undergoing, but all the intellectual awareness to, to try and fathom this out. It was based on raw, raw survival. So, you know, the power of beliefs. And basically led me to a suicide attempt mm. yeah. because I thought the solution was outside of me. You know, how many times do we hear it, listeners, in modern day life? If I get, if only I could get another job, if mm. only I was in a better relationship, you know, or more money, if only, if only, if only. Let's eradicate that if only mm. and just look inward because in my humble opinion, Lisa, you're absolutely one billion percent right. I get pulled up for saying that. You're absolutely one million percent right. Paul, you can only have 100 <laughs> percent. Well, I never said I like that. it. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds good. But you're absolutely right, because all of those things, if only, if only, if only, it all comes from inside. It's the feeling that we're experiencing, not the external event. Yeah. Because three people can be in exactly the same external event and not have the same feeling. So it must be the feeling. Yeah. It must be inside of us. And so if we look there, it's, it's much simpler. And an alchemy does occur when we look at what we're missing or what we feel like we're missing and we find that place in us and we start to fill it up with what was missing. It, it is like an alchemy. It just some, sometimes these, they just dissolve. The bad feeling just dissolves. And you go, wow, that was like, how did that happen so fast? Yeah. So let's frame it another way, listeners. All events in life are neutral. The only power they have is what we choose, either consciously or subconsciously, to give it. You know, I use the example, Lisa, of a football match. One team plays in red, one team plays in blue. One of the teams wins 1-0. Half the fans are going to be elated. Half the fans are going to be distraught. You know, and there's going to be two completely polarised sets of emotions there. One, the winning 1-0 side, that was a brilliant game. Did you see that goal? Blah, blah, blah. You know, this, the other side. 
what a rubbish game. And by the way, the referee was biased and blah, blah, blah. Mm. The result is the result is the result. The only power it has is what we choose to give it. All events in life are neutral. And we are human beings, so we are going to have a feeling. We are going to have that emotion. And sometimes it's hard to be neutral. So the more we can understand our emotions and work with them to empower ourselves in that moment, the more we really enjoy the life experience we're having. Mm. We are human beings, or maybe we're being human. Haven't we done that one, Lisa? <laughs> yeah, we have. We did that one. <laughs> Number 10. When I look in the right place, I find the right solution. Yeah. So we pretty much well covered that. That is really talking about looking, be, looking at what it is in us. So one of the things that I find very effective is when I have a reaction, say somebody said something and I have a reaction, I could, I, I've been practising sitting in a place going, well, if they've said something and I've reacted, there's got to be a part of me that is reacting. So rather than looking at them and what they've said, I look at what is that part of me that's reacting? Where is that in me? How can I find that? What is that? Is that me feeling not good enough? Or is that me feeling like um, I should be doing this better? Or am I feeling abandoned at the moment? Or am I feeling unsupported? What is that? And when I look in that right place, I can actually do something about the situation because First of all, I can empower myself emotionally, which then means that the next thing I do, the next thought, word or action I take is not going to be reaction. It's actually going to be a movement that is from my powerful place. It's going to have a lot better outcomes because it's on a totally different trajectory than had I not looked inside me to find out where the problem was and I tried to take another movement from where I was now, from feeling powerless or fearful or anxious, like, and I'm trying to do things in that state, it's no brainer that I'm not going to get as good an outcome as when I do things from a more empowered state. So looking, looking for that part in me that's got the reaction, what is that in me that's reacting to this? And really identifying that is an incredibly powerful thing you can do for yourself. Mm. See what came to mind there? Another smile, Lisa, as you was as you speaking there. Jack Sparrow, the treasure's there. It's worth having, and it's got my name on it. It's that internal internalism again, isn't it? It's there. It's got yeah. my name on it. It's always yeah. there. Yeah. Maybe I need to take those dark sunglasses off. Come back to that again. Mm last but certainly not least and i love these few words these five words my truth is my superpower wow what a way to end yeah and it, it really is when you for me taking emotional responsibility and knowing how to find the unmet need in myself when i'm in a reaction and knowing what to do with that brings me back to this incredible place of, you know, I am here. I am in my power. I am all that I am in this moment. I am whole. I'm in my truth. And it is so powerful. It is unshakable. It is activation of my heart. It is courage. It is strength. It is clarity. 
And it really, really, really is a superpower. Mm. We're approaching that time, listeners, Lisa, where we're getting ready for the elevator, the, the proverbial elevator. But before we go into that elevator, um, share your contact details, Lisa, if you will. Mm. Reach out to me. I'd love to have a conversation and any questions or anything that this conversation is brought up for you, share it because that brings me so much joy. I love to explore all of this more and more and more. My website details, which is the best place to find me, is www.imlisajane.com. That's I-A-M-L-I-S-A-J-A-Y-N-E.com. Superb. And as ever, listeners, that information will be in the episode show notes. So, so, here we are again, Lisa. Now, you know, we spoke two episodes ago on the first episode around here we are in this, you know, we've met in this hotel, proverbial hotel reception, and we've got into the elevator, and I'll never see you again. Well, here we are, not only a follow-on meeting in another lift, but then a follow-on meeting in another lift, mm-hmm. and two more <laughs> lifts to come after this. So <laughs> maybe there was a little bit of creative license in the listeners to say we'll never see each other again, because I'm sure actually with this kind of stuff that Lisa's sharing, I mean, it certainly lights me up. It really does, and I hope it does you too. But um, just park that thought for a moment. Park that feeling for a moment. Not that thought, that feeling, whatever that evokes. So, Lisa, the elevator, the 30-second elevator, here we are. We've been through 11 beautiful life lessons here. We've only flirted with them very briefly. Is there one? in 30 seconds you know because you're not going to be able to deliver me all 11 in 30 seconds Mm -mm. what's the most pertinent is there a most pertinent are they integrated leave me with something because i may never ever see you again i would strongly encourage you to love yourself enough to look inside to find out what is it in you that's reacting What is that emotional place in you, the unmet need? Because when you find that, you can meet it for yourself. And then you don't have to wait for anybody to change. You don't have to wait for anything else to happen. Nothing needs to to turn up in order for you to feel okay because you already can do that for yourself. And that is an incredibly powerful position. Beautiful. You know what's coming next, listeners. Remember, the world is changing. How will you respond? Thanks very much for listening to this World Game Changers podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world is changing. How will you respond?